ready to rock and roll? Okay, so we're going to start off with another video, and uh, it's our same uh, guest uh, counselor, but he's actually in the parenting mode. So let's watch this. You expect to get into college with grades like this? No problem. Huh? See, I'm not going to college. Damn right. <laughs> I am going to get through high school and then get a job like regular people. Regular people? Yeah, you know, who work in a gas station, drive a bus, something like that. <laughs> so what you're saying is your, your mother and I shouldn't care if you get D's because you don't need good grades to be regular people. Suppose you graduate from high school. Let's say you just slide by. All right, now, now you got to find a job. Now, what kind of salary do you expect uh, for a regular person? Mm, $250 a week. $250 a week? Yeah. Sit down. I, I'm going to give you $300 a week. Yes, indeed. $300 a week, $1,200 a month, all right? Great, I'll take it. Yes, you will. And I will take $350 for taxes. Whoa! Huh? Yeah, now, now uh, because, see, the government comes for the regular people first. Now, now how much, how much does that, that leave you with? $850. All right. Now, you've got to have an apartment because you are not going to live here. So, an apartment in Manhattan will run you at least $400 a month. I'll live in New Jersey. All right. To live in New Jersey, you've got to have a car. I ride a motorbike. You need a helmet. <laughs> Figure a hundred a month for clothes and shoes. Figure two hundred. I want to look good. <laughs> okay, so so what's that? What's that leave you with? Two hundred dollars. So no problem. <laughs> there is a problem. You haven't eaten yet. <laughs> get by on bologna and cereal. <laughs> so I got everything I need plus $200 left for the month. You plan to have a girlfriend? For sure. <laughs> Dad, I thought about what you said and I see your point. Thank you. Thank you. But I have a point too. Make your point. You're a doctor and mom's a lawyer. And you're both successful and everything, and that's great. But maybe I was born to be a regular person and have a regular life. If you weren't a doctor, I wouldn't love you less because you're my dad. And so, instead of acting disappointed because I'm not like you, maybe you can just accept who I am and love me anyway. Because I'm your son. Theo, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. 
no wonder you get D's and everything. Now, you are afraid to try because you're afraid that your brain is going to explode and it's going to ooze out of your ears. Now, I'm telling you, you are going to try as hard as you can. And you're going to do it because I said so. I am your father. I brought you in this world and I'll take you out. So that's how we're going to do it. Ever been there? Dads? Yeah, we, that's why it says fathers don't exasperate, right? Um, one quick announcement. Um, some of us at the break, uh, there, there are books here, obviously, and if you've checked in, you got your book. Some of us, uh, uh, we, we believe, grab some of the books without letting the uh, registration folks know. So um, you're not in trouble, okay? Um, just before you leave, please make sure you check in with the registration folks so they know all the books are counted for. We got exactly the number of books for the number of people here. Okay? All right. Um, I want us to, to just remember that today's class and actually next week's class are spent on this first core need of connection and acceptance. Okay? That, this is the need that probably is the biggest, that is the most challenging with regard to subtle and unintentional. And so these exercises we're doing, we're actually going to keep doing them throughout the rest of our class here because it's sort of like muscle memory. We have Joe Smith, a trainer here. He, he can tell you more about that. But the idea is it's so subtle and it's so unintentional we don't even recognize it. So the goal with today's class is that we begin to just build up more and more of that awareness. Remember, what, that's what we talked about last week? With more, more self-awareness comes God's promise of self-control. Okay? So we're, we're just going to work on that muscle memory. Does that make sense? Um, so the, uh, the thing to remember about connection and acceptance is, you know how we've all got these important life values that we want to pass to our kids? Do, do you all have those? You know, things like look both ways before you cross the street. Um, there's more of, more of those values that we want to pass on. The way to think about this concept of connection is to think of it as the bridge. You know, if, if this is my imaginary son over here and our relationship, connection is like the bridge. If there's not much of a connection, that bridge is really small. And those values that we want to pass to them, it's going to buckle under a small bridge of connection. It's just going to collapse. But if we maintain connection, they feel accepted, that bridge gets wider and wider. And then those values, you know, you can just truck them on through because it's such a strong connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
So there are a couple of things that connection help with. The first thing is connection helps with their morality, moral values. We're going to get into this more uh, in uh, a couple of lessons down. But the idea is that it's, it's easier for them to understand morality and transferring those values that we have for them if we build a strong connection. The second thing that connection helps with is it helps control stress. Okay? If there's not a connection, they're going to get stressed and it's hard to cope. Okay? So that's an important thing to remember there. Oops. Okay, you notice I've got this big monitor today? Last week I was using my little tablet. And when you're 49 and you need bifocals, <laughs> that just doesn't cut it. So this is right here, my cheat sheet. Um, so the, the opposite of emotional level is rational level. So connection is more at that language, that level of emotions. Okay? So the rational us, which parents think in, and that's why we get frustrated with our kids, because they're thinking always at that emotional level. So we're rational, we're thinking, why can't they get this? Right? So we have to consider that if we can't connect with them on that emotional level, if we can't have that vocabulary of emotions, that vocabulary to talk in that sense, it's really hard to just give them that rational piece of information. Does that make sense? So that's why we need to uh, really apply these practices that go along with connection and acceptance. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. So moving on. So, so remember, these are the six life traps under the domain of disconnection and rejection. There's 18 overall. There's six under number one. There's six under number two. Three each under three and four. That's, if you want to kind of have a broad view, that's what we're doing today. Okay? Like uh, Mike and Christy said in the, the first half, it's not so much important for you to remember every little thing about the life traps. The exercise, the muscle memory, is about becoming more aware of the EIs, the exasperation interactions. I do think for your benefit, as you learn about the life traps, it makes more sense to recognize those EIs. Okay? So now we're going to go on to emotional deprivation. And we'll start with the cartoons here. So this is a girl. She's at home and her parents are out. So she thinks to herself, why do mommy and daddy come home late every night? <laughs> oh, your parents called me. They asked me to remind you to do your homework. Get lost. You're not my mom. <laughs> Hello, Mei Li. Here's a present for you. Mom, you gave me that same doll last month. Ooh. Mei Li, don't be so ungrateful. Okay, take out your EI worksheet. So you've got a minute and work on the EIs that you see here. 
Do we have Jeopardy music? No, just kidding, just kidding. That's what you need, stress. No looking on each other's papers. Muscle memory, that's what we're doing, muscle memory. All right, we're ready? All right, it doesn't matter if you're ready, we're gonna go through it. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, actually, keep it on this slide. So, do we see, so we'll do show of hands like we've been doing. Is there belittling? I don't think so. Perfectionistic and conditional? No. Controlling. Punitive. Okay. Um, emotionally depriving and inhibiting? Yes. Yes, dad, right? You should be grateful. Overprotective? No. Pessimistic? No. Overly permissive? Yeah, good catch. Like I said, this is a sharp group. Yeah, the, the overly permissive one can be, uh, could be missed because here she is sort of reacting, and then, you know, she says, oh, you got me that last month. And then she's, she's upset, and immediately he snaps to this comment that's emotionally depriving, right? And it's, it's, it's just so easy to, to just forget that they, they are so busy that they're not even around, that they've lost touch with even remembering, oh, I got you that last month. My bad. But that was an eye-opener, right? So permissive can mean that as parents we can be so busy that we, um, sometimes it's out of a response of guilt, but it's the idea that, oh, you know, I'm not around, okay, I'm going to let them do that anyway, because I feel bad. So that's overly permissive. So if we have these repeated interactions, next slide, this is the life trap, the core message of emotional deprivation life trap. I cannot expect others to be supportive of me and care about what I need. Emotional deprivation is about insufficient empathy, nurturing, and or not receiving guidance and direction. So this is about, so deprivation, there's two here. There's deprivation and inhibition. We'll actually get to inhibition later down the list. So deprivation is the idea that you are depriving your children of your emotional connection. Okay? That's the idea of empathy. As, as parents, we need to learn to be able to sit in their shoes and understand what they're going through. Child was disappointed, we should recognize that, acknowledge that. That would be empathy. Okay? Here's a quote from the book, oops, the book uh, when John Louis writes, when children are deprived of love and left to themselves in their formative years, they become angry and lonely. In adulthood, these experiences lead to a sense that I will never be loved enough. Okay? 
So I'm a therapist, and I have to say with the adults that I work with, this is a big one. This is a very common experience that they're sorting out when they come in to see me. Um, when, when we talk about formative years, th this is that whole developmental process as our kids are growing up. And I talked about a, the train analogy. They, they need our empathy. They need our nourishing. They need that connection. And if it's not consistent, it doesn't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. But it has to be consistent. And if it's not there, this is when they are left feeling alone to, to navigate these little experiences that they go through. Does that make sense? So the absence of emotional connection is the challenge here. And sometimes that means there's no room for, in our hearts to understand them. You know, we just can't tolerate it. Okay? These are the things we want to be aware of. So depriving our children of our own emotional ability to connect with them. Okay? Let's go to the next one. So, this, so our slides go like this. You know, the child's experience growing up, and then this is what they could look like when they're adults. It doesn't, it's not formulaic, it doesn't always equal this, but this is a possibility. So here, our girl, wearing the same red dress, amazing. She had an attachment to it, apparently. So her husband now says to her, happy birthday, sweetie, surprise. Thanks, let me look. Well, what do you think? Uh, nothing. Honey, what's wrong? I thought you said you wanted a new dress. So she thinks to herself, I bought him a gold watch, but I guess I don't deserve anything that expensive. Honey, it's perfect. So the, there's a discrepancy, right, between what she thought and what she actually says. Now you might say, she's lying. No, this isn't lying. This is a life trap, right? So she feels like, oh, I don't deserve it anyway. You know, okay, thanks. But the idea of being able to emotionally be able to connect by talking through even what she thinks, that's very important. And as an adult, this is what her challenge is. Okay, next slide. Why didn't, okay, sorry, I didn't finish it there. Why didn't he ask me what I really wanted? Okay, insight into me as a therapist. So we would call this mind reading. <laughs> I want my spouse to be able to read my mind so I don't have to say it. Life, okay, we got an amen over here from Chris Fuquay. So those are on sale right now at Target, mind reading hats, okay? Okay, so that's a, so I work with couples a lot. That happens a lot. There's a lot of mind reading. I wish, ta, he should know. 15 years of marriage, the ring thing. No, we, we don't want to get into this trap of mind reading. Because what happens is then we foreclose on conversations. Okay, mind reading in itself is benign. We have thoughts. But if it forecloses on us having the opportunity to connect, that's the challenge, okay? So there's the whole thing. Let's go next. 
All right, so now we're going to go to social isolation. So we'll go to the next slide. So here's this one particular kid. She's thinking to herself, why am I so different? I hate queuing up. Lining up. So she says, oh, so these other kids say, look at her hair. Her name is so strange. She's huge. <laughs> Next. So she comes home and talks to her parents. I hate living in Japan. I'm so different from the other girls. I feel weird and ugly. So mom says, well, Ranjit, I always have wanted to move back to England. My company only has positions open in Asia. We just need to stay here and save. I'm glad you're saving, because when she grows up, she'll need the money for therapy. Okay, I, I didn't draw this cartoon. I have no affiliation with this. This is what it says. But look at her comment as she walks away. I'm not like the rest. Okay. So next, take out your EI worksheet. Let's go to the next slide. And let's see what we see. Muscle memory, muscle memory. This is very repetitive, but again, we're creating awareness. Okay, so let's go through this. So do we see, let's go to the chart. Next slide, okay. So do we see belittling? Blah, blah, blah. Yes, who's belittling? The other children. So, so this is a reminder that as we're, as we're teaching this, as we're reviewing this and talking about the EIs, we're, we're viewing it from the child's perspective. So it's not always just the parents, right? So you're thinking, wow, what a relief. Larry, Mike, and Chris have been pounding away at us parents, thank God. Okay, so there is belittling and it's her peers at school. So the interesting thing to note, the social isolation life traps probably the only one that sort of takes this into account. The, the other ones typically do relate to parenting and the way we interact, so sorry. But that's important to be aware of, that things happen at school. You know, my, my son had a pretty, he's a freshman in high school uh, this year, which is crazy. You know, he's, uh, he's always jumping around showing me, look, I can jump and I can touch this now. So he... <laughs> And I say, look, I don't even have to jump, dude. Ooh, wait, was that belittling? Oh, man. Well, caught red-handed. Um, but you know, in middle school, 
Uh, he had a tough time. There, there are a few incidences where, you know, just other kids, uh, not necessarily bullying, but teasing and things like that. So a lot of times, that, that's what gets to the kids. That's those exasperating interactions, right? So it happens. So there's definitely belittling, um, perfectionistic and conditional. No, right. Uh, controlling. Nope. Um, punitive? Nope. Oh, now we're scared to answer. Uh, emotionally deprived and inhibiting. Yes, all right. Um, what's this one? Um, overly protective? Mom is overly protective. Very good. Pessimistic? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. The comment about therapy. All right. I guess I'm going to have to take the fifth on that one. I can't be uh, unbiased. Okay. Uh, the last one is overly permissive. Okay. I would say yes. It's similar to the other one. The kid walks away. And we sort of permit her to walk away discouraged. And this one's, okay, so it could go either way. Like Christy had said, this isn't gospel. You kind of got to know yourself. But I, I view it as overly permissive in the sense that maybe there's something we can do to sort of um, strengthen them in that moment. Okay? Something to think about. It's not gospel. Okay? All right, so if, next slide. So if this kind of interaction repeats, next slide, this is what we got. Social isolation and alienation. So the core message of this life trap, I'm different from other people and I don't fit in. The feelings of isolation are being alone. The feelings of isolation and being alone stem from feeling apart and from any group or community and too different to belong. Let me share about a client. I think this one, the first thing I thought of with this one in kind of a cultural context is this can happen if you're an immigrant. Okay? I had a client whose whole family immigrated to America. And immediately, you know, and she was school age at the time, and immediately going to school, the clothes she had worn, which actually were made by her, I believe, grandmother, she was immediately made fun of because it was so different. Okay? Um, and, and how this client put it is, I was immediately on the outside looking in. It was really powerful to, to work this out with this person. Uh, she's from a different country, so she had an accent. Again, just heightened her sense of social isolation. And this was interesting. This person even said how that framed her sort of worldview or spiritual view is at times this person felt like in God's kingdom, in God's body of fellowship, the way this person thought of her, their relationship spiritually was, I'm kind of a stowaway. 
I don't even deserve that. So it can be, you know, I, I like elaborating, you know, the Steffens are elaborating with examples because we need to know how it looks in real life sometimes. And that's, that was what this person was fighting in this social isolation and alienation experience that was going on. The parents of this person, the dad was kind of avoidant. Uh, mom was very busy. They were both pretty busy as professionals. And I think then there became this emptiness of not being able to sort these experiences out. Okay? And uh, this is where I, I want to bring up for a few minutes talking about the challenge it can be with our kids even growing up in church. Immediately, what, what sets the stage is when you're growing up here in church, guess what? When you're going to school, you are different, right? You know, um, there is going to be, to that degree, a sense of not fitting in. You know, that's going to be apparent for them, and that's going to be something we need to be attuned to, right? That, we, you know, it's okay to, to encourage, hey, we love you, we, you know, hang, you know, you know you're, you're better than that. But that sort of is almost that sense of overlooking, acknowledging the experience. And we need to be able to pay attention when, when our kids bring those kinds of things up. Does that make sense? Um, and then they become teens. And then, guess what? More identity issues. That's what adolescence is all about, fitting in. And that, that fitting in process is steep already. And if we aren't paying attention to that, and, and we want them to be different, we have that genuine heart that we want to you know, help them recognize what kind of spiritual convictions that means, but not to sacrifice acknowledging the struggle that it is. Does that make sense? Um, they have to feel safe in our connection with them when they express those things because they, they, you know, they see it every day going to school. It's subtle, and for us it can be subtle that we don't just acknowledge it. It's, and here, here's a good way to acknowledge, and we'll talk about this in next Sunday's lesson is how to connect. But the idea is you just reflect their feelings back to them. It's tough, isn't it? And when you, when you reflect, they just kind of go with it. It is! It's crazy! That means you've connected. That's the emotional vocabulary, not the cognitive, not the rational. Does that make sense? Okay. So I wanted to spend a couple of minutes there to help us kind of in the context in which most of us going to church live in, to not be unaware of their challenges. So let's go to the next slide. So here, here's an interesting thing too. So social isolation often has its root in defectiveness. You know, feeling defective and then feeling isolated in not fitting in. They are distinct. Defectiveness has more to do with kind of an internal sense. There's something wrong with me. The social isolation has more to do with ex the external environment and not fitting in. 
but it's not uncommon for them to sort of be paired. Okay? All right, let's go to the next slide. So this is possibly grown up what might be the experience. Aren't you looking forward to going to the night safari with the neighbors? And this is our, this young child before, now a wife. No, I'm not. I just don't fit in. The last time you were the life of the party, everybody loved you. And look what she's thinking. That was an act. And he's thinking, wow, he's thinking about that, and wow, you were the life of the party. I can just see you there with everyone again. Me too. Sometimes that's, you know, that, you know, wouldn't it be great to carry around thought bubbles? <laughs> Actually, maybe not. <laughs> then you'd be coming to see me, right? Okay, so uh, that's, that's all. So again, I, wa I want us to know it doesn't always play out this way. The book does talk about the conceivable pathways that it takes as you're an adult, okay? Doesn't always mean that, so don't, don't freak out. Um, but this would be another a moment where I want to encourage us. We said at the beginning last week, and I want to encourage it again. I would love for the couples that are here to pair up with another couple. If you came by yourself, pair up with somebody else, or you know, maybe it's a few people, and to be able to process this stuff during the week. You know, this is, this is um, maybe a lot, and it can stir up through those filters a lot. You know, I had a couple of people come up to me and say, last week they said, oh, I was the child as you were talking through all those things. You know, it stirs up stuff. And it's really helpful to have kind of intentionally pair up. I know we made it a suggestion, but I would like to make it a really, really, really strong suggestion. <laughs> to pair up because it will really help alleviate that sense of, I'm the only one feeling this way. Because you're not. If, if you were, we wouldn't be able to write this book. So, okay, let's go to the next one. All right, so the next one is emotional inhibition. So let's roll through this. So here's, here's our story. So our, our main character boy says, I can't wait to see you at your place later. Okay, see you. And they're at dinner at the second boy's family. He's thinking, how come no one says anything? <laughs> and the mom, they're watching TV. Oh, someone's knocking at the door. Mom, that's the TV show. Your parents don't say much, do they? What's your dad do? My dad's the director of communications at his company. I mean, it's funny, but it can be funny real. You know, many of us are really accomplished. We, you know, we were highly successful, or we, you know, we're really going for it in our career and all those things, and that's, that's all benign. That's cool. You know, there's no judgment against that. But I think these, these uh, little cartoons can remind us, hey, where, where am I in my focus in connecting with my kids. Director of communication at 
at a company, not the same thing as connecting with your kids. And, and here's the challenge for me. I'm up here, I'm a therapist. I must be amazing at home. You know, guess what? I'm at home, I'm not a therapist. I'm a husband, I'm a dad, and I get, I get those same challenges. You know, I, last night I was having, I had a date with Brandon, and we, we went uh, to dinner, and I said, so is it kind of weird having, uh, having me teaching about parenting and, you know, <laughs> you know you're, you're my kid? And uh, he says, no, I think things are good, and, you know, I just got to work on what I got to work on, and you, you work on what you got to work on. <laughs> awesome. You're going to nail me, aren't you? Okay, so let's take a look at this. Take out your worksheets. seconds. All right, are we ready? I'm real, I want to. I want to say this and encourage you guys. It's so cool seeing people really thinking about it, looking at their worksheets. That's really awesome. Uh, I, it's obvious you guys are taking this seriously, and I, I want to commend everybody for that. So, in this scenario, so this one right here, belittling, no, perfectionistic and conditional, no, controlling. Okay, maybe. Punitive? No. no. Uh, emotionally depriving and inhibiting? Yes. Yeah. Then the last three, I actually didn't see any of the, the last three. So, all right, so that's interesting, right? So, going through this, so if, we, if there's this repeated pattern, go to the next one. This is what it leads to. So this is really a distinction from the first emotional deprivation. The core message of emotional inhibition life trap is I should not express myself or show my emotions. I should always be in control. Let's park on this for a second. So this is the idea that the child growing up doesn't, doesn't allow themselves to f or, or, or they aren't allowed to feel and express the emotions that are going on. Okay? Or they're maybe even belittled for feeling even positive emotions. Belittled for feeling excited, joyful, or those other emotions that, you know, anger, sadness. They're just, they're just not allowed. And if that's the case, that's where this life trap comes into play. Uh, let me share about a client that I have. He is, uh, he, he struggles with OCD. All right. Um, mind blank here. Obsessive compulsive disorder. So obs here's a freebie. Obsessive has to do with thoughts. Compulsions have to do with behavior. 
So he struggles with OCD. But we, so what, what we've unpacked, and it's taken a while because he is all rational. He's an engineer. <laughs> so everything's rational, everything makes sense, right? But growing up, what he talked about was, you know, I could, I could sort of say what I felt, but then it was my mom just didn't let any of that, she didn't let any room for any of that. And he thought to himself, I can't wait to grow up and move out. That's how exasperated he was that he was inhibited from expressing his emotions. What's interesting is when we, when we talked about that more, is he said, well, as a kid, I kind of got it in the sense, mom's, mom's rules, you know, parents' house, parents' rules. So he became very rational about it, like, okay, no, no need to keep fighting this. I'm not going to win it. But then he said, but I remember when I went off to college and I'd come back on breaks, I would get so angry. And he would like destroy his outside furniture. That's how angry he got because he was so emotionally inhibited. And once he got, you know, once he moved out and got an experience of being able to be different than what he was growing up, it was hard coming back home. But that's what then triggered that angry reaction. And, and it's really hard for, you know, we're processing emotions. You know, that's what I do, a lot of what I do. And he, he says, feelings are dangerous. Not good. That's why it's really hard for, he sits in therapy really anxious because he knows I'm going to kind of poke at the emotions. He's just like, oh, don't go there. It's really hard for him. So that's why then he starts obsessing and struggles with compulsion. Things have to be a certain way. Um, sometimes these things, you know, with, with even our, our inhibition about emotions, they can deal with our class. You know, our, you know we, some of us grow up, you know, middle class, comfortable. Some of us grow up poor, you know. My, my family was an immigrant family. We were the ones, and I got to school, we got the little lunch things, you just give it to them, you got a free breakfast, or there's breakfast, so you get a free thing. So we grew up pretty poor. And so there are, there are some challenges even because of, you know, cultural differences. You know, I, I remember being around my dad, he's an immigrant, so we, we had that Chinese laundry. Okay, we were right in that pipeline of that stereotype. I mean, I iron my own shirts. You know, it has to be a certain way. I used to do, my brother and I, I have a twin brother, we were so bored. We would race to see how many shirts we could iron in an hour and he, see who could do it the fastest. <laughs> we, we both got up to about 11 or 12 in an hour. But, but we didn't have those thin ironing boards. I don't know how you do it like that. We had like a four foot table square. You just throw the whole shirt down and you just crank. But my dad was the best. He did about 15 an hour. That guy was a stud. Um, but I remember growing up with my dad, um, it was like, with him, it was like walking on eggshells. I remember sitting around, we, we always had this dead time waiting for the 
clean laundry to be delivered, and then we'd iron. So we had some dead time. I remember slipping off uh, a stool, and my dad had an anger problem, and I thought for sure, end of the world. I mean, that's how scared I was, that I, I couldn't even blow it like that. And he started just laughing. I was like, okay, it didn't cost me my life. And that's how it felt sometimes, you know? Because sometimes over time, we just feel like we can't even express any feelings for, for fear of whatever that reaction got. So that, that's something to be aware of. And, and for me, it has led, you know, my wife and I have been married 20 years. It's awesome. But I remember early in our marriage, it, what, what's hard about being challenged with emotional inhibition is it's hard to connect in intimate relationships, like with your spouse. Anyone relate? So this is where we take the parenting banner off and we put the marriage banner up. And I remember my wife would say to me early in our marriage, she would say, I miss you. And being the sensitive husband would say, I'm right here. I miss you. She'd say, I'm like a flower, you have to water me. I'd say, okay. Metaphors, we're going metaphors, okay. You know, it's, it, the first 10 years of our marriage were tough. Uh, I'll be very honest, it was, it was tough, because, you know, I'm the avoider, and she is not an avoider. She is an overcompensator. I like the other word in the book, counterattacker. <laughs> Much more vivid. But what's funny is the more she attacks, the more I avoid. Attack, avoid. <laughs> because with my dad growing up, it was not cool to express those feelings for fear of whatever. So it, it this one challenges our intimate relationships. Even with my kids. It's, you know, I'm a therapist, I should know these things. Well, knowing and doing, totally different things. I've had to work very hard on connecting with my kids because it's, it's, not, it's not like that for me. You know, it's, it's very, I have to be very intentional about connecting. And I believe that's probably true for, for many of us. Okay, let's go to the next slide. So, speaking of marriage, this is that person grown up and married. And look at what the wife says. Wasn't it wonderful? I love the way the hero came back for her at the end. Obviously, it just came out of a movie. How romantic. Mm. And the way they cared for each other. I love the way she sang to him. Mm. Honey, it's our date together. Say something. Why are you so excited? It's just a movie. Oops, I think it's time for an oil change. Okay. So I slipped in a marriage one here. But that, that's something that, you know, 
Ultimately, this is about relationships. We want to focus on our kids, but it happens in our marriages. And like last week's lesson, the first relationship that's most important in our parenting is which one? Marriage. All right, let's go to the next slide. So now we'll talk about failure. Aren't you so excited we get to talk about failure? <laughs> yeah, me too. Okay. Hey, Dad. I made it to the top 10 of my class. Gunther, you must try harder. Your youngest cousin was valedictorian, and your other cousins are lawyers, doctors, and engineers. Why should I even bother? I'm such a failure. If you're only as good as everybody else, you will be a nobody. Uh, it's not my fault that life is a rat race. But even if you win the rat race, you're still a rat. All right, so let's go to the next slide. Take out your worksheets. Do you like my accent? I have no idea what accent that is. So, somebody who knows, come up to me and talk to me afterwards. Arnold. Somebody says Arnold. All right. Focus. Focus. Few more seconds. We're getting the hang of this, right? Okay, let's jump in. All right, belittling? Maybe a little bit? Perfectionistic and conditional? Controlling? Punitive? Okay, I put no. Emotionally depriving and inhibiting. Yes. Overprotective. No. Pessimistic. Yes. Overly permissive. No. no, couldn't get away with anything. Okay, so the failure life trap. I am fun fundamentally incompetent and have failed. I am failing and will fail again in the future. I'm less talented and successful than other people. The focus of this life trap is on achievement and external status symbols of success rather than on the internal feeling of shame and inferiority that is present in the case of defectiveness life trap. Okay? So this is the person as an adult. He's the one in the green shirt. So did you enjoy the class reunion? It was okay, but I felt like a failure among my friends. His wife says, no, honey, of course, you're not a failure. But my old friends are better off than I am. Honey, you're doing fine. Gunta, you are not a failure. Wow, where did that come from? You have a wonderful wife. That's something you did well. You married a good woman. Thought, they're just trying to be nice, but they think I'm a failure. It takes one to know one. 
Okay, you say that, but you probably thought that, right? You probably thought that at one point. Okay, so, so that's, again, let's be reminded, it can play out that way. It may not. It's not a direct sort of corollary. But there is this failure mindset, which I believe many of us are familiar with. You know, my, my dad always did the comparison. So-and-so's son is, you know, straight A's and off doing this and off doing that. And my thought was always, why don't you be their dad? <laughs> of course, I didn't say that thought bubble. Um, but it built up this failure thing where it never felt like enough. Uh, you're just saying that. And I've had those thoughts. Oh, you're just saying that. You know, even, even preparing for this, I, I think there's a, there's a part of me that sort of over-prepares. And that's the idea of fighting that failure life trap. Well, if I'm over-prepared, there, there it'll be flawless. That's pretty unrealistic. And I fight that. So let's go to uh, the next slide. So, so this is what we've sort of looked at overall. Remember, we're on connection and acceptance today and next week as well. Okay? But this is what we're fighting against, this pathway. The pathway where we have these inter exasperating interactions with our kids, which means that their core emotional need isn't met. And then they're exasperated, which leads to life traps and coping styles. Does that make sense? That's what we're doing here. So, okay, so we're going to look at this movie. How many of you have seen Prize Winner of Defiance, Ohio? Okay, awesome movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those feel good movies. It's actually a true story. So, to sort of set the, um, the background here, in the 50s and 60s, which is um, the time of this, the period of this movie, um, it was very common that there were these write-in kind of contests, okay? And so you'd fill out a form responding to a question, responding to, by writing a, an essay or something, and you could win prizes. So this story is about a family, husband and wife, and the wife wrote in and won a lot of prizes. See, the challenge was she was married to a husband who was an alcoholic, who ended up losing all of their money. And they had 10 kids. So you see why she was constantly entering these contests. She's just trying to keep, keep the cash flow in there just for the basics, okay? So, this particular scene, she actually won a trip to New York and a sports car, and she's just going to get ready to go, except it's foiled by the fact that her teenage son got arrested. And let's watch, so pay attention to how she deals with it, and then think about how you would have dealt with it. Uh, 
I only took a few dollars from the ladies first, and, and I, I put the wallet back so she wouldn't miss her driver's license or nothing like that. Stealing is stealing. Don't you dare try to justify it. Don't you dare. Sorry, Mom. Do we have to tell Dad? You see her, little bastard! So that's the sports car. I'm sorry I didn't get to go to New York, Mom. Let's just get you through this next week. I talked to a friend of mine. And he said the judge gives guys like me a choice between jail and joining the army. Army wouldn't be too bad, would it? No. You should learn how to make your bed. I wonder where it'd be like to drive this thing. You want me to teach you? No. Then I couldn't bear to sell it. You want me to teach you to drive Dad's car? Better not. Not enough gas in this world for all the places I'd like to go. Go inside and eat your dinner. It's on the table. This is our amazing mom. She couldn't go on her trip, all this stuff happens, and that's how she deals with it. Let's go to the next slide. So I'm, I'm going to connect this now to God and the Bible, and I think this is really amazing. What's amazing is the research now is proving a lot about what the Bible has said all along. This is a research study. Students who attended Harvard from 52 to 54 were asked about the quality of their relationship with their parents. 35 years later, their medical records were collected. 87% who rated mothers and fathers low in parental caring have been diagnosed with diseases such as coronary artery disease, hypertension, hypertension, duodenal ulcers, alcoholism in midlife. Next. Only 25% of them with positive parental experiences had diagnosed diseases. This research took into account family history, smoking behavior, death and divorce of parents, marital history of the students. So this is amazing and this is what the Bible says and I think that study sort of affirms and confirms this. It says in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And what is that? So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. The point of sharing that is that if there is a good connection, 
between parents and kids. The promise is long life. That study showed with, with those who, you know, and the, the studies that are really significant are these longitudinal studies, long-term studies, okay? And what it showed is the health, physical health, of those kids that they tracked sort of bore out this scripture. That many of them, 87%, who, who had sort of ticked that their parental relationship wasn't good, had a lot of these complications physically. And then vice versa, those that had really good connection with their parents, there's so few that had those physical illnesses. And I, you know, I think it's some, the bottom line of that is it's something to think about. You know, I don't know that it's comprehensive and we can make it just a direct corresponding issue, but I think it's worthy to think about. That the promise to the kids, if they obey, is that life will go well. And how we can get them to obey, obviously, is passing these values but in the context of what we're talking about today, our role in forming those good connections, it's that bridge, right? That bridge we want so much between us and our kids. Make sense? Next slide. So that theme scripture, that's why we're, you know, that's why we're sort of repeating on this, is we draw so much in this two-hour um, uh, workshop, in the nine weeks that we're doing it, we just draw it from this scripture, the admonishment for us. Do not exasperate your kids. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That word training we looked at last week, remember, it's about nourishing. It's about meeting their needs. It's not just this, you know, like coaches and training. It's nourishing connection. Empathy, those sorts of things. Next slide. Hey, the cool thing is God knows best, right? And it's revealed and confirmed by research. I think that's really cool. So, now that we've been introduced to what happens when we don't meet the needs, guess what next week's class is? We're going to focus on how to do that. Okay? So that's something to really look forward to. So we finished early, we finished early today, so have a great rest of your day. All right. <laughs>